I'm Jethro Jones from Transformative Principle, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure you check out the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Welcome to the Google Teacher Tribe podcast, your source for the latest news on Google for education, tips, tricks, and teaching ideas you can use in class tomorrow. And here are your hosts, Matt Miller from DitchThatTextbook.com and Casey Bell from ShakeUpLearning.com. So Casey, I'm sure that this never probably happens to you, but sometimes did you know that people get scammed through their email? No, yeah. never. It's not that Nigerian prince because I've heard that he's just amazing. <laughs> right. Yeah. He just wants to send everybody his money. He's very, very generous. But um, yes, yes. Yeah. That's that's what I hear that, that people do get scammed and it's, you know, people are getting better and better at it. In fact, I'll even admit that within the last several months, I got a pretty um, convincing email that I thought was from Facebook. And I went in to log in and realized that it was clearly not Facebook after the fact and had to go run and change my password. So it happens to the best of us, of course, right? Oh, yeah. They make them look so legit. I mean, this this just happened to my dad uh, a couple months ago. And it was, you know, email seems to be the number one way now to scam somebody. But the um, the email said that he had bought this app and it was $50. So my dad's freaking out because he knew he didn't buy the app. Well, they made it look like it came from Apple and everything. And he clicked on it, put his password in. Oh! And that's, you know, that's when they start getting your information. But the key was, and my, my teachable moment was that we have to go and look at that email address because when you look at it, it wasn't from apple.com and where all my Mm -hmm. other Apple emails come from, there was something Mm -hmm. weird about it. And there's always something weird about it if you go in and look at that. But unfortunately, the, our email is so pretty and clean these days, which we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But sometimes that sort of masks the things that we need to see in order to prevent some of those things. So, um, but you know, Matt and I were just talking because I'm sure this has happened to everyone, not necessarily that you click on it, but that you've had these cross your inbox at some point. Right, exactly. And sometimes it's just nice to have somebody watching your back or having some, you know, some resources out there that will sort of help you vet your email to make sure that everything's on the up and up. And thankfully, if we if you're a Gmail user, you're going to get a little bit of help with that. And that's a big focus of our episode today, isn't it? It is. So uh, we are actually going to jump into the new Gmail as our featured content today. So Matt and I took a deep dive. We've been playing around trying to get to know it and trying to find uh, the good, the bad and the ugly to share with you and, and our opinion on where it's all going. So we've got that, of course, tons of Google news and updates and our mailbag is very, very full, y'all. Oh, my goodness. It's so full. Yes. 
thank you. We appreciate it. Uh, yes. So we've got tons of, of feedback and ideas from our listeners in the tribe, as well as a couple of things to share from the blogosphere. Yes. So Matt, you ready to get going on this? I am ready. Let's do it. Let's get into some news and updates. We've got lots of stuff to share with you. And the first one, if you use the new Google Sites, this is a little change that really might make your life a little bit easier. So now you're able to add custom links to the navigation bar in the new Google Sites. So it doesn't just have to be another page on your Google site that you put up in that navigation bar. Now you can create your own custom link. So if you want to link to, you know, your uh, class website, which is someplace else or another tool that you use regularly or the school website or whatever it is that's useful to you. Now you can put your own custom links that don't go specifically to your Google site. So that makes all sorts of sense that they would do that. And, uh, right, exactly. It's those little things that make us happy sometimes. Absolutely. So yeah, I know a lot of people have been waiting for that when I get that question at least once a month. When is it coming? As if I know. So, uh, <laughs> so I'm excited because now the Google new Google Sites just keeps getting better and better slowly, but surely. So we also got some updates in slides and docs and the way that they work together. And it's now even better. So what you can do is now you can insert slides from Google Slides into your Google Doc. And it's actually going to link it together, which means it's going to be a live link and will reflect the changes that are made. So it's not like taking a screenshot or anything. It's actually linking. And so you can easily do that and save you from doing duplicative work and ensure that your your documents are always up to date. So when you're trying to keep, you know, the the, the doc and the the presentation together. This is a great way to do it. Another thing that I think Matt and I were really excited about, maybe super excited, mm -hmm. was the fact that we now have some more guidelines for aligning our text and objects on Google Slides. So I don't know about you, but it drives me crazy trying to get things exactly where I want it and trying to make sure. Now, they do have those little snap to guides that help you center and things like this. But this will also allow you to draw your own markers and align it with the ruler. So if you want to make sure that you're using certain margins on your slides, like when you're creating ebooks. So this is exactly what I was thinking about how much time I spend trying to get things in the same place on every slide when I'm creating it, uh, an ebook and, you know, like the footer and the page numbers and things like that, that are not so set in stone, you can put things anywhere. So I, I think this is going to be a great help to really fine tuning those those things in our presentations and help students learn how to create things that look even more professional. Yeah, I was just telling Casey, this throws me back to my old days and my, my, my life before education when I was in journalism and I did uh, page design for newspapers and we had those little tool lines in Quark Express. I know that's going way back for some of you. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but having those little lines that don't show up on the page that help you line things up are awesome. And that's exactly what you're getting here. So totally, totally love that one. Another one that got added has to do with sheets. And I have seen some 
totally excited. I'll just say it. Some super excited tweets <laughs> there. I just did it. Um, all, all over the place related to this from our spreadsheet lovers, because now you can add check boxes to your spreadsheet within a cell. So all you do is you click on that cell and you go to insert checkbox. In fact, right now, as I'm recording this, there's a little blue box next to it that says new. And so when you add that, it does put a little, uh, a little checkbox there where if you click on it, it puts a little check in it. And if you unclick it, then it takes the check away. And inside of the actual formula area within the slide, it puts in true or false. And you can actually change that so that the formula part doesn't say true or false. You can customize that with data validation. And so there's a link to the support article that tells you how to do that if you're interested in that at our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 53. And to give Google Sheets a little bit more love today, we also got some new controls over chart data. So bear with me. If you're not a super user of, of Google Sheets, this, this may not be something you are as fil- familiar with, but, um, this has to do with how you use the, the different and various charts that are available inside Sheets. So you can now show totals in a stacked chart. So that allows you to show the sum of all the content in one data set. And it's all, you know, pretty there for you. Then the other thing that they've given us is some control over the alignment of your data labels. So um, and I don't know about you, but I have played with this some and sometimes it drives me crazy where the labels end up. They don't always go where you want them. So they're giving you some more control over where that goes. So in column and bar charts, you can do auto and let the the sheet try to to pick the best location. You can center it. You can go inside in or inside base or outside in. So you've got a lot of flexibility so that you can make it look the way it needs to look for um, your presentation or whatever you're using your chart for. And then they did the same for align point and area charts so that you can control, again, the, the placement of those data labels there and put those where you want and, or just let Sheets do the auto thing and see if it can pick the best place for you. Yeah, that's a good one. Isn't it funny how a lot of these things are just little bitty things? And if you're not into all the Google tools and everything, people might go, really? You get excited about that? But we do, don't we? We do get excited about this stuff. You know, I think I get more excited sometimes about the little things that don't even get a blog post. You know, a I lot know. of times we're pulling from the blog, but sometimes it's just the things that we discover in that little checkbox thing that everybody was going, yeah, that's something people have asked me how to do for ever. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, having that and that, you know, that was just, that's just like a screenshot. Here it is. Go to right. insert checkbox and you got it. So right. um, I love that we're constantly surprised and learning <laughs> along the way with all of the Google news and updates. Absolutely. Okay, y'all. So the biggest Google news under the sun these past few days has been the new Gmail. It has been a topic of conversation all over social media. Everybody's watching the videos, trying to figure out how to get their hands on it. And Matt and I have jumped in and we have some initial ideas and reactions. Of course, this is still very, very new. And uh, we've linked to a couple of blog posts, both from the keyword blog and from from the G Suite Updates blog that detail a lot of the new features. But I think once you have access to this, and by the way, 
If you have a personal Gmail account, you can go to your little settings wheel, the little cog, and click on try new Gmail so that you can see it and see what we're talking about. Um, With your school account, it is up to your school when that rolls out. So you may not quite have that just yet. But hang in there. But if you want to kind of get a glimpse of what we're talking about, that's that's it. But I don't know about you, Matt, but the initial like look and feel is definitely uh, given an upgrade. Like we, we it looks a little mm-hmm. bit more modern. The old Gmail, uh, honestly, I haven't been using it for so long. And every time I go into it, it just looked antiquated. And I typically use inbox for Gmail. And I think you do, too. Right. Yeah, well, I've used, I use both. For my personal Gmail, I use Inbox, but I've been using um, regular Gmail for my uh, ditch that textbook email. And so I just actually, while you were talking, I just refreshed it and I was able to get access to the the new Gmail. And so I think for that, you know, having a, you know, working in Gmail every single day out of that and then switching over to the new one, um, I feel like, a, it's kind of busy, but I, I have high hopes for it. But then, yeah, comparing it over to my my inbox, yeah. I've, so, I, to answer your question from earlier, I do have. <laughs> sorry, I realized I kind of wandered on that. Um, yes, I do have inbox, so that's a yes to that question. Right. Well, I I, I agree. <laughs> busy, and I have like twelve million labels. I have rules set up. I have all these different things that mm-hmm. that add to that. And so, when I look at my sidebar right now, and it it is that way in regular Gmail too, but it's still just cluttered like my mm-hmm. initial reaction and I'm looking at this on an, a nice big screen right now and it's that's that's what kind of still drives me crazy so I'm hoping we get some cleaner views but you can still adjust the view by the way by going to your little settings wheel and you can do the display density it's basically the same that it's always been um, default comfortable or compact and that basically is going to tell you how much you see on the the screen at once how much of the mm-hmm. snippet you see now one thing that I do like and I like this in inbox as well and it's in the default view but when you can see and actually just click on the link to a file that's attached so sometimes when somebody has shared a file with me I find it useful sometimes just to open up the file before I look at the email so that I kind of know what's coming or if it's something that's automatic, like I have a Google form that will email me, you know, responses and things like that. I can take a look and know if it's something I need to act on immediately or, you know, I, I can sort of turn that into a task, which is something else that they have improved in, in Gmail. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No, no, I totally agree with you. And so now on your right hand side, it's pretty small, but you have three icons. You have the the calendar icon, the Google Keep icon, and the Tasks icon. So if you didn't know this before, Google Tasks is something that is is sort of its own little entity, but they've tried to improve it and make it more visible inside Gmail because before you had to toggle um, and open up the little pop-up. But it is pretty easy to turn an email message into a task. So um, I like that they've made that that more visible here. 
Yeah, we were talking about that earlier, and I I didn't even totally realize that tasks was integrated into the the previous one. And um, yeah, just the visibility I think is huge. And then having Google Keep over on the side too. Of course, you know we've talked about Google Keep in a previous episode, and Casey and I have blogged about it several times. And it's a daily part of my life. Um, if you're not familiar with it, it's kind of like your digital sticky notes that go with you wherever your Google account goes with you, and. Uh, Google Keep got integrated into Google Docs a while back. So you could have the little sidebar with all of your Google Keep sticky notes, so to speak. And then you could just drag them over and drop them into Google Docs. And it was so great. And I thought, oh, well, if they've got this Google Keep sidebar in Gmail, it's got to be the same way. And I tried to compose a new email message and drag a Google Keep note right over into my email and it doesn't work the same as it does with docs. So that was my one little disappointment, but in the big scheme of things, that's probably not huge. I also did notice that if I want to copy an image or some text out of my uh, keep notes, I can just highlight them or right click them. So it's just a couple extra clicks and it is still really handy to have those over on that little drawer that you can pull out in the, in the sidebar. Yeah, it's definitely nice to have the access. And I think that's really what it is. Initially, I'm I'm thinking integration, like what you said, like with docs mm-hmm. and slides. But in Gmail, it's really just sort of giving you that instant access to have it in the same window as opposed to opening it. At least that's the initial way I'm seeing. I'm hoping we'll get better integration. In fact, what I was hoping was going to happen is we were going to see integration between tasks and keep as well. And that's not there yet because one of my big complaints about keep has been that it doesn't add to your calendar. I said tasks, I meant calendar, but Mm -hmm. I I want, I want them all to work together perfectly. That's not too much to ask, right? Right. Uh, So, but but it is still great. And of course, there are those new Gmail add-ons as well. So there's a little plus sign that pops up and you can add those. So those will appear in that little tiny little sidebar that pops out when you open Calendar Keep or whatever you're adding. But you have no control over the size of that sidebar either. So if mm. you are used to sort of, you know, customizing size and space, that's another thing that some people are complaining about. Yeah. Yeah. Another side of this whole uh, Gmail thing that's been really nice, I think, is um, the fact that it's kind of like what we're talking about at the top of the show is that we've got some improved security in it. You know, the the idea that sometimes we get some sort of uh, dubious emails in our inbox. We've got a little... Um, I guess you could call it kind of like a little banner that will show up in suspicious emails sometimes within the new Gmail. So that's one piece of the, the, how they're helping us be more secure within our, uh, within our email. But another one is that we have this thing called confidential mode. And if you've ever sent an email that had some sensitive information in it, it is a real concern that somebody could forward it or could print it. Um, And so basically what confidential mode lets you do is, among other things, it will block forwarding and replying and printing if you want it to. And then you can also make messages expire after a certain time. It kind of makes me think of the like, this message will self-destruct in 10 seconds, you know, back to back to that. So um, anyway, having those those extra security features are kind of nice, too. Absolutely. I think they're 
are a lot of teachers who deal with sensitive information who are really going to like these new features. And I, I think that's going to make some people happy being able to, to set that up so that you can have more control over who sees that information and make sure it's not printed out or forwarded on to someone else. So um, really happy. And I think that's actually their biggest selling point right now with the new Gmail after the big hack happened. Was that last year? Um, so uh, trying to trying to fix some of those security flaws that we've had and, and hopefully also add some new features. Now, some of the features that they're advertising, like those security features, aren't actually available yet. So even though that that's coming, we can't actually test it out. We're just reading about it in right. theory at this point. So, so don't, uh, don't think you're missing anything if you don't find it because, um, that's not actually available, but it's supposed to be, um, over the next few months, I believe. Now, mm-hmm. something else that's a little bit new is if you hover over messages, you will get some options so that you can complete some of the, the tasks that you do with emails without actually clicking on it or opening it. So you can archive, you can trash, you can mark it as red. And then you have the lovely snooze button. Mm, yes. So, um, and and that's a feature that I have loved from Inbox. And so I, I'm, I'm seeing a little bit of a, a merging of the two from yeah. this. I don't know if you're feeling the same yes. way, but I, I, I'm feeling like these two are coming together because I don't think as many people have, have caught on to Inbox. But um, so you can click on snooze. So, and I love this because sometimes I get a message. I'm like, yeah, that's important. Important, but I can't deal with that today. I'm going to deal with that first thing in the morning and I'll mm-hmm. snooze it till, you know, 8 a.m. tomorrow. Or you can pick a day or the favorite, pick someday where it randomly <laughs> picks another day for you to read it. So, yeah. um, so the snooze button is pretty handy. Yes, yes. And I think if if you subscribe to the idea of the inbox zero, I think this is super, super helpful because there are those things where, see, I've tried to do inbox zero and I've created these folders that say act immediately and act soon. And um, just, uh, you know, I've, I've tried all sorts of different things to help me and I'm still a hot mess when it comes to my inbox. But I could see how this snooze button can totally help because if it's something that I need to do tomorrow, at least that is an automatic way that I can deal with it tomorrow without getting it lost in a label or whatever. Absolutely. And I have failed miserably at Inbox Zero for many, many months, days, years, whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's impossible for me. But uh, kudos to all of those of you who, who can actually accomplish that. Now, um, one other thing I wanted to mention real quick was I did go into settings um, and into the full settings menu, and it looks very much the same. So I I didn't get into the nitty gritty, but I don't see anything different quite Mm -hmm. yet. You can still change the inbox type. You can still, um, you know, change how many stars you use, add your picture, all of those things. So you still have some of the same general settings. It, to me, it's more like it got a new skin with a couple of extra features that are coming. Yeah. Yep. That's, and that is something that I've noticed also. So there's lots of other things that, I mean, we're just kind of scratching the surface here. Uh, we would be fascinated to hear your reactions to the new Gmail, what the things are that you love, uh, some of your can't live without this anymore type of stuff. Um, some of the, cause you know that you'll probably get the, I wish it was like this 
the way it was before. So whatever your thoughts are, you know, feel free to send us a tweet to the GT Tribe hashtag. Also, feel free to go to googleteachertribe.com and leave us a message. And we will be very interested to hear what the tribe has to say about all this. All right, it's time to get that mailbag out. And like we were saying earlier, we have had so much feedback from all of you with questions and different ideas that you've had to share with us. And so we're excited to dig right into this one. And the first one that we've got comes from Zach Ripley. So Zach was listening to episode 50, where we were talking about sheets add-ons. And we had a question come in about how to take multiple spreadsheets where we're gathering ongoing data and have it all pulled together in one place. And Zach, I'm believing that Zach is a spreadsheet ninja, because, or at least more so than I am, um, because he talks about how you can use the import range function. And you know what? I'm just going to let Zach explain this because he does a much better job at it than I will. So take it away, Zach. Hi, Matt and Casey. This is Zach Ripley. I work as a tech integration support um, for schools, professional learning consultants, I guess is my title. Um, but I just was listening to the Sheets episode, the add-ons episode 50, and the teacher's question at the end about the middle school PE situation with all the sheets and the data, um, and the thought came to mind. I've seen teachers use this before very effectively, but and it, I'm not sure how familiar you are with functions and formulas and spreadsheets, but if I were to use an import range function, I could create a master spreadsheet, and then one at a time I would have to open each student spreadsheet, but I only have to do this once to set it up, and I open the student spreadsheet and copy the key from the URL, and then if I paste that key into my import range function, my master spreadsheet would just have uh, on one page a list of all the students' names, and it would import the data from the student sheet. So it's a real-time update as opposed to having to click through tabs or copy and paste data. It's a real-time update. Um, as the students change their own spreadsheet, it would update my master spreadsheet. So uh, definitely more convenient long-term and doesn't have to involve dealing with concerns about sharing and editing other students' things or any of that. So possibly a solution. Not sure if it would be helpful at this point anymore, but that's definitely a route that I would try. Ah, yes, I really like that. That that this is great, Zach. Um, you know, just just by kind of taking that step by step process that he's got, if you can make that work, I love the fact that it will update as the students update the data too. So that's that's definitely a great solution for that one. Awesome! I bow down to all of the spreadsheet ninjas. Yes, yes <laughs> you guys are too. awesome. Thank you. So our next question comes to us from Sarah Reed in Alado, Texas, and Sarah asks a question about Google Classroom. That at first, I will tell you, I wasn't sure I knew the answer, but after a little bit of digging, I did manage to find it. So Sarah wants to see the timestamp when a student turns in an assignment or marks it as done. And then she has a follow-up question. If not, how do you handle students that say they did it and it doesn't reflect so in Google Classroom? So two-part question. The first part, yes, you can see a timestamp. However, it is buried in Google Classroom. So it, it could take you some time, especially if you have to go do this for several students. But if you click on the assignment from your stream, click on where it says done. The number, you know, usually it'll say like however many are done or not done. So click on done. And from there, 
on the left-hand side where you see your roster, this is the part that is not intuitive because it doesn't make sense to click over there. Click on the name of the student and it will show their assignment there. And then there's a little link that says see history and it will pop up and give you the timestamp. Yes. So several clicks to get into it. So it is in there. I wish it was all nice and pretty, even in a spreadsheet like we get in, in forms, but it, it's not. So so that's how you can find out exactly when they clicked the, the turn in button. However, uh, how you handle it, <laughs> if it doesn't say what students say that it should say, did I say that right? <laughs> yeah, I'm following you. <laughs> if if it, if it's a disagreement, uh, that also you know could be a bit of a problem. So I'm going to leave that question up to the tribe because that's a little bit of a behavior thing, and also mm-hmm. you know sometimes you know students have turned it in, and we always have glitches, and we can't explain glitches. But you know how do you handle it if your students have said they've turned something in in Google Classroom, but Google Classroom is not reflecting it? So would love to hear your feedback. Yeah. Um, so, so share that with us on on Twitter or send us an email or a, a speak pipe and let us know at googleteachertribe.com slash feedback. And, and we can help yeah. Sarah out with this question. With a Google form, I mean, you, you get the timestamps with a Google form. I thought certainly with Google Classroom, I've never been, been able to find that until, until just now. That's that's good stuff, Casey. Good stuff. <laughs> I try. Yeah, yeah. Okay, our next question comes from Beth Cohen. She's from Pennsylvania. And she says, every year our freshmen complete a unit on academic integrity. And we've been using Moodle. I am a Moodle user from the past as well. was pretty heavy Moodle user for a couple years there, which includes a self-grading quiz that lets students know whether they have achieved the minimum score and prompts them to review the resources and retake the quiz if they didn't pass. And we're going to have G Suite instead of Moodle next year. So I want to reproduce that quiz in forms, but I can't figure out how to set the minimum passing grade and notify the student whether he or she passed at the end. So I was looking at this and I'm thinking, you know, with regular Google Forms quizzes, once you op- opt into those quizzes options, you can set it up so that the students can see their grade whenever they finish. And then you can opt whether to show them the correct answers or not, among other options. And I'm thinking, what if you just set up that Google Forms quiz to show them their score, but not show them the correct answers? And then just let them know ahead of time, either in the assignment in Google Classroom or in the description in the Google Forms quiz or whatever. Let them know what that benchmark score is, what that minimum passing score is. And then if they know what it is and they take it, if it's supposed to be an 80 and they get a 75, then they know that they need to take it again. And you can just set it so that they can they can create multiple attempts on that quiz. And honestly, I mean, that's not like, you know, a perfect automated system or anything. But I think that will, that's probably the easiest way to take care of that question. No. So, so Matt, I, I agree with you and Beth, uh, thanks for sending us such a complicated question. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, and of course, if anybody else wants to chime in, please, please share your thoughts on that one. Our next question comes to us uh, from my buddy, Ben Whitaker in the UK. And, you know, I always get the last names or the towns, that I can't pronounce and everybody will probably make fun of me, especially Ben. Um, but because he's not just from the UK, he does live specifically mm-hmm. somewhere in that, right. <laughs> on that Island. Right. So he is from Oswald Twistle, Lancashire. <laughs> I have no idea if I said that, that right. That sounded so, pretty good. 
you you can help me out with that later um, and let me know. But uh, Ben left us a, a, a great question on SpeakPipe. So take it away, Ben. Hi, Casey and Matt. I uh, love what you're doing over here in the UK. Um, it was a privilege to interview you recently too. Uh, my question is about Google Sheets. Um, in Microsoft Excel, I know I've said it, sorry. In Microsoft Excel, it's possible to lock down certain tabs um, so that um, they can't be edited by people if you've got a collaborative spreadsheet. Is it possible to do that in Google Sheets? I know that you were talking about add-ons in episode 50, so I'd be, be keen to hear that. Keep up the great work you're doing. Can't wait to uh, hear what else is coming for Google Teach Drive. Okay, so locking down certain tabs or what I think you mean, the sheet inside the entire workbook in Google Sheets is possible. And there's actually several different ways to do that. So I have linked back to um, a G Suite Tips article on three ways to protect your Google Sheets data. And yes, I know I never say that word the same. So uh, unlike a GIF, (laughs) I always say that in one way, but for some reason, I don't have... I go back between data and data, so sorry, folks. But when you go into your sheet, you can go to Tools and Protect Sheet, and that will allow you to protect an individual worksheet, basically lock it down so that other people can still access the other parts of the sheets, but they can't um, edit that, that particular piece. There's also some different ways to protect ranges or protect even individual cells. And so there's some information in that sheet on how to do that, but it is possible in Google Sheets, not just in Excel. Now, let's move on to the blogosphere where there is always something cooking, something new to learn. And today, I want to share with you an article from a listener of the tribe, Mike Muhammad. You may know him as Mo underscore physics on Twitter, and he's pretty active there as well. But he he shared a great little post called When the Lecture Ends, the Learning Begins. And first of all, great title. Love it. And um, yes, thank you. He did actually quote my book, but I promise you that's not the reason why I'm sharing this. But the question that I posed in the book was, how do you react when your students don't grasp a concept or a skill the first time you teach it? And you know, that's something that was really hard for me as, as a young teacher when I first started. And how to handle that because that wasn't the way I was taught. You got, you had to get it the first time or you just kept failing. And so this idea of failing forward or first attempt in learning and, you know, how do we keep kids on pace? How do we reteach? And so he shares some really great strategies that I, I loved. And one in particular that I loved is called the bullpen. And essentially the bullpen is small group reteaching. And this happens during, you know, a math workshop, a writing workshop, whatever you're doing, where there's multiple things going on in the classroom. And I'm a huge fan of small group instruction. And there's just something so powerful about getting that face-to-face time in that small group and helping kids really grasp a concept. And for the teacher, I know it's a lot easier to really you know, assess if they're on target, are they getting it than it is when you're teaching whole groups. So um, I, I loved, loved that reference there. He's also got some other great um, technology based ideas, quiz games, simulations, and other ideas for um, how to, how to keep kids on target and, and, learning, you know, reteaching different types of concepts. So thanks for that, Mike. 
Yeah, absolutely. And he is a great follow on Twitter, by the way. So Mo underscore physics, especially if you are a, um, you know, a, a physics teacher, you know, somewhere around that realm. I, I loved it. He says in his uh, bio, it says, hated high school science so much that I decided to teach it myself. <laughs> totally love that. So uh, the one that I wanted to share with you comes from my own blog from Ditch That Textbook, and it's called 10 Ways Google Tools Can Make the End of the Year Rock. So obviously, when we get down to the end of the school year, as we are here in the United States, uh, there are certain things that change a little bit about our our classes in the day-to-day. Uh, we have a little more focus on projects, and we have these tests where sometimes uh, students get done early and have some free time on their hands. Sometimes we just need a little comic relief in our lives. And so I'm sharing lots of ways that Google can help you accomplish some of those things at the end of the school year. So if you want to get the link to that or to Mike's blog post or really anything that we've talked about in the show, feel free to head to googleteachertribe.com slash 53. All right, folks, that wraps up another episode. If you are as excited about Gmail as we are and some of these new features and the way that it looks, please do uh, shoot us a tweet at the GT Tribe hashtag and let us know uh, what you're thinking about it, what some of the features are that you love, that you're not so thrilled about. And um, we would love to be able to get that feedback. If you have not left a rating or a review for the show, we would love that feedback, uh, no matter how you feel about it, uh, wherever it is that you get your your podcasts. And that obviously does uh, help other people to be able to find the show and helps us to continue to make it as relevant and as great as we can for all of you. So thanks for listening to episode 53 and keep connecting with us on Twitter, on Facebook, wherever you are. We are better because of you. So thank you. Yeah, we'll see you on the next episode. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Keep up with every new episode by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, and by visiting googleteachertribe.com. Get in on the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag GTTribe. Until next time, keep harnessing the G Suite power, and may the Googles be with you.